What is good, guys and gals, and welcome to the Films and Pixels podcast, episode 10. I am your host, Afif, with a huge selection of topics, or I should say a very big one. This is really more of a Batman dedicated episode, which is why I'm going to be talking about the Batman. So I'll be reviewing that movie, plus um, talking about my experiences replaying Arkham Asylum and Arkham City again, only this time on PC as opposed to PS3. And um, some sort of a Batman animated movie related news, more like a voice actor or very big figure cast in a role for DC League of Super Pets. Or I'll try to get the proper title, but uh, the important part today is that for this episode, I will be reviewing the Batman now finally in theaters. And so before I go any further, if you haven't before like follow the pages subscribe to this youtube channel it does help an independent channel such as this one so if you haven't done so please if you have before thank you so much it really does mean a lot it does help me big time and always any engagement in the comment section is always welcome so please feel free to do so and from here on out let's just get going Okay, so for today's episode, I do want to review and talk about the Batman movie. Now, finally here. Oh, man, this was, I mean, this movie was definitely worth it. I mean, I managed to take the opportunity to go Saturday afternoon and watch it in theaters. And for me, this was really the first time just going out and watching it in movie theater since I think somewhere in mid-December after seeing Spider-Man No Way Home. So, I mean, this was great. And for the record, this has nothing to do with going back to cinemas just because it's a comic book inspired movie. It's not it. It's just that between then and now, it's just that it wasn't, there wasn't really much for me to get excited for. I know there was like a Scream 5 and Nightmare Alley, even though I might have a copy of Nightmare Alley to just watch and rent, but... Um, Beyond that, there wasn't anything else that excited me. But without further ado, I mean, not to go off topic. For this movie, I'm I'm going to say this is like one of the better and more exciting Batman movies I've seen in quite some time. This is this might be the best since The Dark Knight in 2008. This isn't throwing any sort of criticism or shade towards The Dark Knight Rises. Even that itself is still very, very good and still worth watching again i've seen it more than once so i mean the entire dark knight trilogy still fantastic to watch i just think this one in particular when i think because it's regarded so highly you know it's um one of the things i really like early on just unlike what we've seen before in christopher nolan films it's like always constantly raining at night and it just gives that grittier darker tone i mean even though the Zack snyder batman v superman film yes there was like a lot of darkness and rain and all that because it's gotham but this one really hoed in on like tough gritty crime infested gotham city at night and you know the movie start not to go with the spoilers but i mean just minor detail just so that you know it starts off in halloween so of course shit's gonna go down in halloween you know, like vandalism and, you know, people getting hurt and all that crazy stuff. So 
the thing that I really liked about what Matt Reeves did for this movie is that, like, you know, he, you know, he brought the tough grittiness, and you know, it sort of reminded me a little bit of what I saw seen from, you know, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes, because I thought like, as well, the main lead character was just very much hardened, very much. Um, you know, sort of, sort of like I don't maybe traumatizes word. Of course, as everyone knows from Batman's childhood, that does not to be repeated over and over and over again. But you know, it's clear that as we've always known, he's had a traumatizing traumahood, tra- traumatizing childhood from his parents getting shot and killed, and that's affected and how he he's wanted to solve crime in Gotham, and he later believes he doesn't really solve anything or make anything better, but. I mean, I just love how, like we saw in the trailer, that he is vengeance. He calls himself vengeance because he wants to take vengeance on the corrupt, on the criminals, you know, on the plague that is Gotham. And it's more of a um, crime mystery thriller more so than like, there is action, but it's more so than like an action adventure, you know, CGI infested superhero film. That has dominated box offices and so many people are already familiar with. So it really does a great job taking this approach. One of the reasons why I also really like this movie is because like, you know, there isn't so many scenes in the daytime. I mean, we've seen the Dark Knight trilogy, like obviously a lot of the nighttime scenes and even more so daytime scenes. But here, very few and even very rare daytime scenes, unless it's at a crucial moment if there's an important reason that there is a scene in the daytime and this is what uh, Matt Reeves was honing you know I love that you know you can tell it's so much of, of the corrupt cops the criminals and the mafia and the mobsters that are in this movie and you know vandalizing prop- public properties and like even the bat signal I mean you think it's just like a gimmick but even in this movie it's it's about fear. He, he uses fear. You know, of course, Jim Gordon, you think it, it's used, of course, to call and all that from the GCPD, like a bat signal from Jim Gordon, you know, played by Jeffrey Wright, who I'll get into all the other, other characters. But, you know, when it's seen, it's supposed to make common criminal thugs scared. And this is the idea to bring fear to the criminals who just think that Gotham is, you know, an infested playground for them. So this is something that, um, you know, throughout the film I enjoy. Now, I want to talk about more about the characters in the cast as well. I, like many, was somewhat skeptical and somewhat concerned with the Robin Pattinson casting. Like, how, like, how, how does this guy fit in this role? You know, but like Pattinson, he's always been kind of like this mysterious actor, played mysterious characters, even interesting characters. I, you know, his recent film, I actually saw um, him in opposite to Willem Dafoe, The Lighthouse, which really was an excellent film, albeit filmed in black and white, but that's really fine. Not my kind of thing, but again, not to go sidetracking, but that was still a great film in itself. So. That's one of the many characters he plays that kind of like 
strange, mysterious, but somewhat interesting kind of way. This is him in this movie. More Batman than Bruce Wayne, but when he is Bruce Wayne, it's... I don't know about nuance, but like his Bruce Wayne role is kind of like interesting in a few moments where he's just kind of muted. Not muted, but like, you know, sort of like this... Uh, maybe sort of depressed, maybe sort of angry, agitated sort of character, but also acts like a detective, both personas of Bruce Wayne Batman being a detective. And this is where I really like this movie, where Batman really gets a chance to kind of be like, and a detective in a lot of ways, and he really needs to be. And because of the Riddler, you know, sending him messages and all that now, okay, regarding Riddler now, Watching the Rid Paul Dano as the Riddler, oh my god, <laughs> yo, holy shit, bro. I mean, even like in the early parts of the movie, I like he really creeped me out. I really thought the Riddler in this movie was legit creepy, not scary, but like you know, Paul Dano. I remember now realizing Paul Dano actually played this Alex Jones character from Denis Villeneuve's movie in 2013, The Prisoners, that starred Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. So, as a Riddler, like, kind of strange, creepy, and, like, somewhat psychotic, but, you know, this sort of character is about mental games, but also sending a message. So, this is where it was really interesting to see, um, you know, Batman having a lot of, you know, taking a chance to be a detective in a lot of ways as well. And in this movie especially, it got to see him in his relationship and cooperate with Jim Gordon. Now, regarding the rest of the cast and characters, I really liked uh, Jeffrey Wright as Jim Gordon because I thought, like, um, you know, as Jim Gordon, he ha he still kept this moral compass that, um, again, I admire Jim Gordon as the kind of man in a corrupted, infested Gotham City where he refuses to be the corrupt. He refuses to give in. Even if his relationship with Batman, obviously throughout the film, as evidence, not always very well liked or approved. You know, it's not like he just is fascinated by Batman. He believes he needs the Batman working together to make this a better Gotham City, a better world, a better life, and and all that stuff. And even when there are tense moments between the two of them, even Jim Gordon knows that, okay, Batman has gone too far, like, take it back, so... You know, sometimes, like, they're able to understand each other because they still have this common goal. And this is why I've always liked the Jim Gordon character because he always stands out as being the one that doesn't want to be corrupt among Gotham City cops that take bribes and have the mobsters and people that are part of the mafia, whether it's Carmine Falcone or Salvatore Moroni, you know, having the cops in their pockets. So this is... And he refuses. He's always refused it. So this is why I've always liked the moral compass of the Jim Gordon character. And his relationship with Batman has always has inspired Bruce Wayne to have that moral compass of being sort of like having this no-kill code as Batman. Okay, so now for Catwoman, who plays a big role in this movie. Um, you know, I liked how a little bit she throughout she's a little bit more mysterious as it goes on you think you know her immediately but she's just a little bit more mysterious as it goes on it's not and yes there is that little moment where 
again, sorry if it sounds like a spoiler, but if you know the character well, of course she loves cats. She has stray cats in her home, so sort of like a face disguise that might look like a cat, but it's not. But I don't think it's meant to do that on purpose. Of course, she has like a whip and so forth, but she wants to put herself throughout this murder investigation has seems to have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger with more riddles, more clues, and so forth that seem to be sending a message. And of course, this has to do with the corruption of the of Gotham that really has all the characters as part of this puzzle involved. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? Why is this person important? What does this person know? Why is this person involved in these situations? What did he or she do to get him or her killed sort of way? So it becomes a bit more mysterious as it goes on and on. And what does it have to do with him? And, and so forth, you know? Maybe even in, in, I think somewhere later on, sort of an interesting twist. Or even more than just an interesting twist. Now, the, in terms of the cinematography, I want to talk about the cinematography a little bit. What I One of the things I really like that I even saw before from Matt Reeves from his other Planet of the Apes films, he seems to really like having a lot of close-ups, especially extreme close-ups, whether it's like the camera shots being so much in on Batman's face or even some moments, uh, Jim Gordon's face, and especially Selena Kyle's face, you know, like, so many so many uh close-ups but it's only when it's vital in the moment and when you can tell that not so much exposition but you can tell when something important is gonna happen or may happen uh, otherwise in the next shot you know so i just thought like while i'm still captivated by everything going on and being wowed you know there's still i thought that was really interesting for matt reeves like there was so much of the extreme close-ups and you know face sort of in the face shots if you know if you know what i mean now one thing i do want to mention and it would be a mistake not to say so i mean it's hard to believe that colin farrell the same colin farrell that you might know from other films um you know i i don't have on top of my head but i remember like a dumbo film yeah uh, that's the same Colin Farrell who played Oswald Cobblepot. The same Colin Farrell who played the Penguin. The same Penguin crime lord. The same Colin Farrell who plays the crime lord, the Penguin. I mean, the voice, you know it's the voice, but when you look at the character in the film, like, it's so unrecognizable that, you know, the makeup team... You know, everyone that did the prosthetics work, you know, obviously a fat suit, of course, the clothes, the accurate clothes. I mean, it like, you know, it's the voice, but it's still like hard to believe watching throughout that. That's Colin Farrell. How's that Colin Farrell? How could this be Colin Farrell? Like, it was just fascinating to just watch him be this character, you know, and I love I even loved how in some ways, like, you know, even um, still being the owner of his uh, nightclub, the Iceberg Lounge, I thought it was cool that the Iceberg Lounge was there. Like, you know, just not, I mean, like sort of knowing what's going on, but not, but like refusing to submit to Batman. But also there's this heated rivalry between the two characters. So this is why I really liked the Penguin in this movie. 
I'm also glad I didn't have to do so much of Easter eggs and so forth. I'm sure there were. But also, like, you know, for those that are also not aware, like, um, part of the story is also based on the year one Batman comics where, you know, Batman's sort of new to this whole vigilante. He's not really a superhero or a beloved figure. He's really more of like this unwanted vigilante thinking that he's above the law. So this is why also the police force, not exactly his best friend or sort of you know, anointing him or looking at Batman as an ally throughout the film, with the exception, of course, of Jim Gordon. Now, of course, I mentioned the characters in the film, Penguin, Catwoman, obviously Batman, Jim Gordon. Okay, so yeah, I did say the Riddler. Now, later on, you kind of understand why the Riddler behaves and acts and his motivations, even though like it's sort of like a, not a sad story, but like kind of like, you know, you want to like, you should have sympathy for him, but based on his actions, like it's kind of hard to sort of like look at the Riddler and think like, you know what? Your actions don't justify the means. You may have a good reason for being this way or feeling the way you have, but they don't justify the means at the end, you know? So, um, you know, I, I just don't agree with the methods of the Riddler. You know, as for the costume, it's not that traditional costume that we've seen with the hat and, and also in the green suit. It is green, but it's a different green suit. I mean, I'll tell you one thing that I'm glad that we do not see. He did not look like Jim Carrey. No offense to Jim Carrey from those 1990s Batman film, whether I think it was Batman Forever or Batman and Robin, but thankfully acted nothing or looked nothing like Jim Carrey in those movies. Let's just be glad about that. Now, the Riddler costume, I think like sort of unusual of what we've seen before, but I kind of liked, or actually no, the costume sort of reminded me of what we may have seen from a different character and different adaptations or different comics. The name Tommy Elliot might be familiar for some people. You know, sort of a adversary for Bruce Wayne in uh, Gotham City Schools. Kind of has this persona of a villain known as Hush. You know, kind of like almost like a face surgeon or something with this face constantly being bandaged maybe to look like bruce wayne out of jealousy because you know wayne the richer family and elliot the poor family but tommy elliot not related to this film there's no tommy elliot in this movie so i know i sidetracked it but i just thought that the riddler costume reminded me of hush but uh, it, it's kind of but like the um, but yeah regarding the method uh, the riddler like his methods of like killing his victims who he knows he's choosing i mean it's crazy you know so this is why i was saying like it creeped me out like in the beginning like whoa, whoa damn you know even the way he speaks in the camera phones like and yes unfortunately in some way social media plays a movie in the film i won't say how and why but of course the riddler took advantage of social media and camera phones and of course he did it's 2022 what more can you expect? Again, another scary way how supervillains can use the internet. So there you go. If you want to be a supervillain, please don't. 2022 doesn't need any more supervillains. So we can't handle more. But with that aside, I mean... Oh, and this, 
the soundtrack. I, I don't know the, the. I think the music somewhere near the end, we've heard it in the trailer. I liked how it gave this moody vibe, in a way. You know what I mean. And I thought it worked. And yes, there's still some pretty good action sequences. I don't need to go further on that, but I I thought it was well edited. I love the, you know, Batman just punching and hitting dudes in different parts of the movie. You know, it still ma- it reminded me of the Batman Arkham video games. I thought I was watching a live action Batman <laughs> Batman Arkham video game right in front of me because I thought that was cool. Also, not to spoil anything, but I mean. Um, you may be familiar with this car chase sequence uh, in the trailer. Of course, it's there in the film. And oh man, is it more than just awesome? Spe- speaking of awesome, I do want to, you know, I do want to give credit where credit is due. Of course, some moments where there's the red, and I liked seeing um, the orange in some parts as well, and a lot of the dark blues and. And so forth. So I thought it was pretty cool just seeing some parts of how the color was used and setting up the mood. So I thought that was really fantastic and great throughout the movie. I admit that I didn't write a lot, but from for, for um. All right. So for this segment of the episode, I do want to talk about it and also kind of look back on two of the more popular Batman video games that I got the chance to replay on PC. I I didn't finish it again, but it's just in the early going, Batman Arkham Asylum and Batman Arkham City. And, you know, right off the bat, bat, yes, that was a pun intended. Sue me. I don't care. Anyway, I meant to say that, but, um, you know, looking back on those games, um, playing them on PC... I was actually really impressed by a couple of things. First, the resolution. And second, the performance. I mean, as someone who usually prefers console gaming over PC gaming, I mean, I know that there's always this whole argument on the PC master race and so forth. But, um, you know, I really liked and very much impressed with what I saw. The reason now... How I got the chance to play them on PC when Epic gave away six Batman video games for Windows um, as part of the, I think, Batman 75th anniversary. So, of course, now with the film, it was a good time to just go back, play the games again for a little while. And, you know, I was very much impressed at the 1080p 60fps and it just made me think and wonder. What went wrong with the Batman Return to Arkham collection? I mean, those are the two games that came back, re-released for PS4, Xbox One. And I'm glad they did. But journalists and reviewers are saying how disappointed they were with the graphics maybe being a little bit too bright and the performance being shaky. So the fact that it was just really good so far on PC at 1080p 60fps, I mean, I'm really glad, like... As a giveaway for free, no cost, being able to play both games with my PC, running the, the game very well and with an SSD. I mean, I was just really impressed. Now, don't get me wrong, the game back on the PlayStation 3, really more than fine for me. I mean, I, I was used to 720p 30fps, 
I mean, it was fine as long as it was stable enough. Maybe a bit blurry, but again, it was just part of what the hardware brought. Only sort of issue that I noticed from time to time, maybe like a minor hitch and also some texture pop-ins, but nothing like that back then that ruined my experience of just being immersed in both games and being at all of the storyline and the amazing gameplay, especially the combat. But I mean, I was happy that this time on PC with an upgraded Windows 10 hardware, um, you know, no awkward hitches, fast loading, and especially no texture pop-ins at some moments. So it, it was just good that it, so far it's been smooth. And, you know, when the, when, um, you know, when ba being able to enjoy the combat at 60 FPS, I, I mean, I was just really happy and impressed. I mean, it really, like, super smooth to the point where, like, I couldn't even believe that these two games from 2009 and 2011 are, like, they still have 7th gen graphics, but with the hardware settings, it, it like, you know, it was still really good. Like, I just couldn't believe how well they worked and how they age well today you know i have arkham knight but on console i'm i'm a bit hesitant to download it again not just because of the gigabyte size but i mean i was aware at launch there were some strange technical issues that made me concerned i'm glad i got it for free anyway don't get me wrong and i've yet to try the other lego batman games but i know that they're pretty good and i'm sure once i give them a try i shouldn't expect any sort of technical glitches or game-breaking bugs that will ruin the experience. If anything, I'm pretty confident that both games, since they, they're they not like graphically heavy, that pushes the hardware kind of games, where those kind of Lego Batman games pushes the GPU by... I mean, I'm not expecting much. They'll still look good enough, but the important thing is that the frame rate still holds up I mean, it would be strange if on Windows it's on 60 FPS. If it's 30 FPS and it's stable enough, okay, great. But, I mean, I'm more than happy to say that replaying Arkham Asylum, Arkham City again on Windows is definitely worth it. Especially now with the whole Batman hype and fandom revolving the new movie. And also, let me say this before I forget. Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill amazing even to this day like just listening to them with their characters is still amazing kevin conroy for many many years has been batman and batman animated series and other batman media adaptions so for him to still rock as batman is still amazing i even loved seeing kevin conroy in um crisis on infinite earth uh episode when there was a crossover with I think um, The Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, maybe Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning got involved by like, I think, five-part episode with Crisis on Infinite Earth. So it was just amazing to see Kevin Conroy, um, just a live action appearance as Bruce Wayne, but not Batman. I should also mention Batgirl got involved as well. And no, let me correct myself. There was no... Legends of Tomorrow, but it, it was still pretty amazing to see. Yeah, and Mark Hamill as the Joker, like, it's just very malicious. I, I just love that 
I mean, I just love how he used, he sounds like he has fun as the Joker. I mean, even the animated cartoons, like he just brings that, like that menacing, evil wickedness as the Joker. It's just so much fun to just like hear him and just watch him just laugh in a wicked way as a joke. He's just he's just great at that role. And he even brings brings sorry, he brings a little bit of that Joker persona uh in the Flash. Man, I forgot the name of the uh, of the villain, but like, you know, I I loved it when Mark Hamill has been ma- able to make reoccurring appearances on the Flash and still has part of that Joker character characterization persona so it was just fun to just see even in live action just mark hamill being wicked at you know but like and not and look nothing against uh, roger craig smith and superstar voice actor troy baker because both men uh roger craig smith batman troy baker the joker and batman arkham origins but i mean you know there's no such thing as replacing or even competing well against um Kevin Con- Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill so you know I just um you know even to this day the game still amazes me and I'm glad that Conroy and Hamill even made one final appearance um for their voice acting role uh in Batman Arkham Knight and that's a fantastic game in itself as well that is still recommended to this day if you haven't tried it so um yeah, I mean, it's it's still really amazing. I, I got to say that. Like, it's still really great. To eat, much better on Windows than on console at this point. Even with Return to Arkham Remaster. Alright, guys and gals. Uh, for the final topic for today. Speaking of voice acting, for those that may or may not be aware... Now, of course, um, coming sometime this year, actually late July, July 29 of this year, um, there's going to be a DC League of Super Pets movie, which is totally unexpected, but this was announced in last year's DC Super Fandom. Um, You know, once again, it's going to be handled by Warner Animation Group for this film. Uh, It's based on a legion of super pets. Now, the only reason why I'm mentioning this is because there was like a another short trailer. This time it did involve Batman making an appearance. And even more interesting, uh, for the role of Batman in this movie, it's going to be by Keanu Reeves. So for this movie, not Kevin Conroy, which I would have preferred personally, but Keanu Reeves will be voicing Batman in this movie. And, you know, based on a small sample size, I, I like that he brought the, you know, his distinctive um you know distinctive rough rule to the movie i kind of you know it fit the character really well so i mean plus we heard keanu reeves on the toy story 4 movie as that motorcycle toy you know the guy who the canadian motorbike rider with the motorcycle in toy story 4 so i like that keanu reeves kind of brought this sort of uh roughness for the Batman movie role, voice acting role, I should say, and I think it'll be really in- cool and interesting. Uh, now, of course, some people may be already familiar. The movie does have the main cast uh, from the promotional teaser poster. Um, Dwayne Johnson as Crypto, the super dog, who's basically Superman's pet dog. 
and Kevin Hart as Ace the Bat Hound, a hound who acquires powers of super strength and invulnerability, and Batman's pet dog. I mean, if someone told me that Batman ever had a pet dog, I would think you would be lying. Seriously, I never would have guessed that Batman, of all people, having a pet. So I thought that's kind of interesting and strange, but... Now, of course, there are some of the character roles. I mean, there are going to be the rest of the Justice League, but it's not fully clear who yet. However, Mark Moran is going to be Lex Luthor. Um, yeah, I should mention John Krasinski is going to be Superman, so that's also good to know. And even a couple of characters I don't think I've ever heard of, like Merton and Chip. Yeah. I do remember the Crypto the Super Dog character. I've seen the character before. I think in the Titan show um, when Crypto made an appearance. Maybe in season two, season three. Along with uh, Superboy. I forgot the character's actual name. But like definitely, um, you know, or yeah, like his human name, whatever you want to call it. You know, he's famously known as Superboy, but like. His own civilian name or whatever he was born with, with the Kryptonian Lex Luthor genetics, you know, with the black t-shirt, but also the famous red Superman logo. But yeah, I, I mean, um, why and what's the idea behind this movie other than to make a superhero comedy? I don't know, but... Um, you know, it could resonate well with children and I think there might be appeal... For grown-ups, especially for grown-ups that are looking for more of a comedic uh, superhero comic book movie in DC, DC comics usually a bit more of a serious, grimmer, darker tone as opposed to Marvel, although Marvel are capable of not being so, you know, cheerful and bright. Obviously, we've seen plenty of serious Marvel projects, but... So I guess this is kind of a way of giving more of a brighter side for DC, especially since DC kind of has more of, especially the shows I should mention. I mean, of all the, of all the well-known uh, DC comic book shows on the CW, I would it's easily Arrow, which has been more of a more grounded, darker tone. Although season three and four kind of went on the more mystical route, but. One of the accusations, now that I think about it, one of the accusations of Arrow has been sort of trying to be a bit more too similar to Batman. When you think about uh, seasons two and three, because season two, main villain Deathstroke, season three villain Ra's al Ghul, who's just more, you know, both of them are really more Batman villains, even though they've collided with other DC comic book heroes. You know, it's they're both famous for being Batman villains and coming to conflict with Batman for one reason or another. So I think maybe that's why, as it's obvious, one of the reasons why Arrow has been criticized. You know, but um, hey, and you know something, you like it's just a bit strange to me. It's okay for Bruce Wayne to appear on TV, but not Batman. Maybe it's just so that there isn't any money loss, or I don't know, for financial reasons, supposedly. This is just my thinking. I never understood it. You can have Bruce Wayne 
as a kid in that Gotham series that was on Fox and Bruce Wayne, grown up older man on Titans, but not Batman. Like the only time there was really Batman on TV is like literally, literally at the very, very, very end of the Gotham series finale for like five seconds. Other than that, there was like literally no Batman on TV. I just like you can have Bruce Wayne on TV, but not Batman. And it's also okay to have Superman. You can have Superman on TV. In fact, there's actually Superman on TV for that Superman and Lois TV show that's now in its second season on the CW and even appeared in crossovers with other CW shows like The Flash and Arrow and so forth. Supergirl obviously making appearances on Supergirl, but it's okay to have Superman on TV, but not Batman. Anyway, sorry for that rant. It's just something that I've noticed and that was always strange to me. Alright, guys and gals, that pretty much wraps it up for episode 10 of the Films and Pixels podcast. If you have watched it from beginning to end, I just want to say thank you so much for the time you have given from your busy day, your busy schedule, and so forth for this episode. If you haven't done so before, please subscribe to the channel, comment in the comment section, follow the links to the social media pages. Small donation to the Patreon page is always useful. And if you haven't seen prior episodes, please do so on the YouTube channel or on the media streaming platforms that are available on the links below. And without further ado, I just want to say thank you so much for the time. And yeah, that's pretty much it for the Films and Pixels podcast episode 10. Thank you so much.